Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. That's the show where the Reformed Christians, or some Reformed Christians, us, dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, yay, joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. He's back. Hello everybody. He has returned. Welcome back, Jake. (laughs) Hope you had a good break, good week off. Yeah, yeah, and we need to get you a break sometime. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone is looking forward to having you back. They're like, thank goodness, you made us put up with him for two days. What the heck? Um, (laughs) So, yeah, today there's stuff happening all last week. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the controversial things occurring right now at our southern border. And lots of other states are getting involved. This is no longer simply a one or two state deal. Um, There is also... Uh, there are also lots of other states involved, so we got to talk about this because something's going on. And by we, I mean Jake. Um, <laughs> but before we get to all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And our verse this week is the end of Psalm 2. Woo! I'm kidding. Sorry. I wouldn't do that to you, Jake. Um, <laughs> our verse this week is... No, I had my I had my week of, uh, of a verse. This time, uh, we, we could do Psalm 2. <laughs> the last couple verses. Um, so the passage this week is Second Peter 3, 9 through 10. And this passage says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done in them will be laid bare. And that's Second Peter 3, nine through 10. I did a considerable amount of research for this. And really, I pulled in all the passages I've studied over the last several years relating to this passage. Because if you are a new listener to this show, or you're newly um, introduced to the idea of preterism, you will read this verse or maybe have been reading this verse your entire life and been um, thinking it meant the world is going to burn. And the earth And everything on the earth is going to be burned up and there'll be nothing left. And then God will create a new heavens and a new earth after destroying it. Um, Not quite. (laughs) So uh, there's a slightly different interpretation to this and actually dramatically different interpretation to this that I would like to give you today um, in five minutes or less. And there's a reason for this, which I'll get to in the end, there's a reason I picked this verse. First of all, though, we have to address the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. That sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? It's pretty clear until you read Galatians 4.3, which says, quote, even so we, when we were children, being in bondage under the elements of the world, end quote. And so what this is talking about is growing up in Christ throwing off the chains of the worldly philosophies, the elementary principles of this world. The principles of this world are principles of worldliness that are against God and against his word. They are the the principles that come, they are the elements that come to us in a natural fallen state, in our natural fallen state. And those are the elements that we were in bondage under before we grew up into Christ. Galatians 4.3 talks about that. So those are the elements that are going to be destroyed by fire. It's the elements of this world. Colossians 2.8 
continues and says, quote, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Same phrase there. That's the elements of the world, the basic principles of the world. Uh, Gary DeMar does a great job when he talks about, uh, he really makes it clear when he talks about this passage because he talks about how um, Peter here was not talking about the periodic table as we know it today. We think elements and we're like, oh, periodic table. That's not what Peter was referring to here. This goes much deeper and it actually has much far further reaching repercussions because it means that all of the worldly things in this world, all of the things, the empty deceit, the lies, the worldly ways of living, the unrighteousness, all of that will be burned up. Now, what is this fire? We have to talk about this fire. Um, 2 Peter 3, 4 through 7, this is earlier before this passage, before 9 through 10, this earlier passage says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. This next part is really important. And through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. I want you to note the language there. That world perished. Strange, if you think about it. In just a second, we're going to think about that really quickly. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. If the old world perished, how are we here? How is there any earth left for us to be on? I think this is a really important takeaway. We can't miss that. What perished was their way of living. What perished were their societies. What perished was the worldliness and the evil that was on the earth pre-flood. The earth itself did not perish, but the principles, the elements of that world perished. Does that make sense? Is that, is that clear? Now, I'll briefly address the last part of this, the Holy Spirit, which is this fire. The fire that's burning is not actual fire. It's the Holy Spirit burning over the whole world. Matthew 3.11 talks about this. Acts 2, 1 through 1 through 47 talks about this. Hebrews 12.29 talks about this. Isaiah 4.4, Luke 12.49 through 50. All of these passages talk about the Holy Spirit being fire. And Acts 1.8 says that this fire will burn over the whole earth. And what does that mean? It means that this whole earth will be consumed by the Holy Spirit. The whole earth will be renewed by the Holy Spirit, which spreads like wildfire. This is encouraging. This is not doom and gloom. This is exciting. This is the work of the church. The Holy Spirit burning over the face of the earth, transforming everything in its path. Our God is a consuming fire, right? And this is a glorious thing here. And we've twisted it to mean doom and gloom. The whole earth is going to burn with physical fire. No. <laughs> quote, uh, Revelation, quote, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Revelation 21, 5. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so in light of this passage, in light of everything we just talked about, 
the current events we're about to describe, the theological wrap-up we'll get to at the end, and everything you do this week is done in light of that. The church is responsible for spreading the fire of the gospel that transforms societies, burns down the old, and we rebuild in the new. That's the fire of the Holy Spirit that will burn the world. Hopefully that was insightful. And with that, I'll pass it over to you, Jake. Let's talk about some current events today. I think today is going to be slightly a shorter uh, current events episode, or it might not be, knowing how I normally do things. But um, I just want to kind of jump in, jump right in without any delay. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas is now in a full-out brawl against the civil government, and this is over the border crisis issue. And of course, uh, when it comes to Texas, what isn't? Um, the facts of this issue and kind of the uh, story and timeline of what all the events that took place is, first, I think, just going through this, Texas tried to stop the border crisis by placing down barricades, doing stuff. They, I know they at one point they placed barricades in the Rio Grande uh, River, and now their recent attempt at trying to curb uh, and deter people from entering Texas is by placing down barbed wire. Uh, and of course, I kind of, it's, it's, they've been doing this for a little bit now. And I think what is being mentioned, and I think it should be mentioned, um, the fact that, and people can't forget this detail, that the barbed wire did kill several people, including a specific case where a mother and child were trying to cross the Rio Grande and they drowned because the barbed wire was keeping them from reaching the land. And also, it was keeping anybody, any staff, and anybody from helping the, the uh, mother and child. So yes, it is, it's not working, right? It's not working out the way that it would, would be hoped. However, again, it, it is sort of doing its job in deterring people. So it's, again, it's, it's on, on one hand, I can see the issue having, the issue of having barbed wire. However, I still agree that we need to deter people, and it, it's especially in this case. I know we've we've definitely talked about the um the migration issue Bruce and I have from a biblical perspective, and what yeah immigration, and what does that look like from a biblical perspective? However, in and I think we Bruce and I can both agree on this: where we are today, we need to. It, we can't take in all these people. With our nation not being a Christian nation, we can't handle all these people. If our nation was Christian, we would be able to have all these people come in and try and help them. However, our nation is crumbling because we left God. And that means we can't help more people that their nation is crumbling as well. So... I do agree that we need to we need to stop this from happening, but I think where this lies is how. How do we do this? And so I, I think the barbed wire is causing some issues. Um, but because of cases like this, the federal government is now taking action and they are cutting down the barbed wire without Governor Abbott's permission. And... So Texas Governor Greg Abbott, obviously, was not happy about the federal government getting involved. So it was taken to court. Greg Abbott took it took it to court, which the Supreme Court 
did not decide in favor of Texas, but instead said that when it comes to border issues and border control, it is within the power of the federal government to do what it wants. Do what it wants, more like, you know, protect the border, whatever. Um, so now we, that we kind of had the background, we have some, have some bits and facts about what had happened. We can kind of go in further as to what, what is going on now. Um, and governor Abbott has defied the Supreme court and has continued to put up new, uh, barbed wire. Now his argument for doing so is, um, is found in this quote that I took from this article. Uh, in this article, quote, it says, and I quote, Abbott has repeatedly invoked the invasion clause, essentially as a loophole in the U.S. and Texas constitutions, likening my- migrants to a public foreign enemy, which gives him the right to enforce border security in immigration matters. End quote. Which, I mean, is completely right. I mean, he's not wrong. Plenty of information shows that the number of middle military-aged men, uh, especially within their 20s, young military-aged men, uh, and the amount of those people coming over significantly is more so than the number of women and children that are crossing. Not to mention, as we have covered before on the show, these immigrants are we've covered this on the show, what, what the, the immigrants are doing once they have actually crossed. So it, they're not just coming here for asylum. They're thinking they're coming here and going to get whatever they want. This is a sense of invasion. I, I can definitely see um, this being very logical uh, for him to be invoking this. And I don't think that he would have too much issue on the federal government. And to add to this, I wanted to say um, that there are several states, 25 to be specific, that have backed Governor Abbott on his fight against the civil government in this issue. Uh, And I kind of wanted to name out those states. Uh, Those states are Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada. New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, Virginia, and Wyoming. So all of the ones there listed are all Republican governors. The only Republican governor that didn't vote for vote to um, support Governor Abbott is uh, Vermont's governor, um, Phil Scott. Yeah, right? And I, I was surprised by, by that tidbit of information as well. So I think it is, I, I think we can briefly discuss the point that Greg Abbott has somehow grown a spine, right? He's, he has a backbone now. He's now actually doing something. Out of nowhere. Uh, right, right. Is the governor who's not had the best record thus far as governor now fighting with reckless abandon? What is this? Uh, it's astounding to see what happens to p- politicians sometimes when their term nears its end. Uh, their, their mad scramble for the affection of their constituents is a, a little funny to watch. And I understand his, his term is going to continue until 2027, but it's this is his last term in, so I think it's it's very true that 
on their very last term, um, governors and presidents do as much as they can. Like normally it's, it's very, it's considered traditional for a president that comes into office their first term, they, they hold back, they don't do too much. And then if they get in a second term, that's where they do everything. That's when they start going crazy. So I think that's, that's kind of what's going on here. However, there is another point. Um, Biden has come out with a deal, right? He's trying to, he's trying to do this, do this little, uh, Trump deal here. Um, and he's trying, he's saying that he will shut down the border. He will, he will close the border. He'll stop, uh, immigrants from coming through, or he, he said he'll minimize it. Texas do what it's doing and like stop. Right. Right. Behind its back and Mm -hmm. cutting the wires it puts up. Right. Right. He'll stop. He'll, you know, he'll he'll get out of the way. He'll let them close the border, uh, if if they pass this piece of legislature through the Congress. Mm-hmm. And this piece of legislature combines immigration and the foreign aid of Israel and uh, Ukraine. So now we're linking. We're giving power basically to the civil government to say that, um, to say that this is now a national issue and that it's immigration. It's an immigration issue to, to not support, uh, Israel or support Ukraine. So he's just, he's just linking the two arguments together and trying to say that now we should be able to give, um, whatever we want to Israel and Ukraine because now it's an immigration issue, which I I didn't look directly into the wording of this and how they were going to try and come up with that. But that's um, just to let you know that that's what they're trying to do. And that's what they're going through with. Um, Right. Right. So it kind of makes sense that Biden is now trying to make sure, especially with the support of the Supreme court, and saying, well, well, no, it's the federal government's job. The federal government has control of the borders. So if you want us to close them, you're just going to have to go through this with this deal. And, and this is probably something, something Republicans are going to go along with yeah, because they want the whole exactly. border thing. They ha- it has to look good in the eyes of the, the party, you know, the people. And so if they want to do that, then they're going to be like, oh, see, we, we, have, yeah. uh, we have reason now to, to go forward with this thing. Yeah. That's why I'm also wondering. If that's why Greg Abbott is pushing back as much as possible, he's trying to now make it so that they can't use that deal. Because if Greg Abbott continues with the invasion clause, he can shut down his own border. And therefore, Biden won't have that leverage that he needs. I hope we gain some additional insights into like why he's actually doing this. Yeah, that is very true. Has his record. Is yeah. doing this like purely altruistically, and it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, for the good of the, the country, I'm going to make this decision. Like you didn't do that before, so what gives? <laughs> you know? Right, right. You may never know, but it it may just be that this is his last term, and he's just trying to go as much as he can, just go yeah. as crazy as he can. I don't know. But usually, usually, people's last term, they get to do what they've wanted to do the whole time, but just couldn't. Uh, he's had ample opportunities to do what he's wanted and he's done it. And what he's wanted has not been for the good of the country or Texas. Right. That is true. 
Yep. And so it's interesting. Valid argument. In his last term, like he, I would have thought he'd do this in his first term to get reelected. Like this would have been a reelect mm-hmm. move. This wouldn't have been the I'm doing now what I actually want to do move. So it's it's yeah. interesting. That's very his reelect move was transporting all the immigrants from Texas up to uh, New York and to uh, to what what was the uh, what was the island that all the rich people live oh, at? Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Martha's Martha's Vineyard. Yes, 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 yes. So yep. that was his reelect move. So he yeah. already wasted that. Santa's did you know? that too. I think they both did it together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there was a whole discussion on that. But with that said, I, I think that's that's the current events. Yeah. That's you know it's thanks for looking into this, Jake, and and the updates um, on this front. It's all with all of the things happening. This is just the latest in a long list of issues which prompted me to put together the wrap-up I've done for today, for our last 10 minutes here. Um, My theological wrap-up, I've called it, When a Nation Deserves Judgment from the Lord. When a Nation Deserves Judgment from the Lord. With everything going on in America today, I I think now is a good time to remind ourselves of all the cursed nations that went before us. We're not the first people to forsake God on a national level. And if we want to make sense of the chaos boiling around us and turn from it, it's probably a good idea to brush up on our history. First and foremost, if we want to truly get a grasp on the situation, we need to learn about our covenantal standing with the God of the universe. If we don't understand that, we're not going to make much progress here and things are just going to keep getting worse because that's the heart of the issue. The long-suffering patience of the Lord is where I really want to begin. You know, lest we get the wrong idea, Remember that our God is the God of all justice and compassion and is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's our verse of the week, 2 Peter 3, 9. He's dramatically different from the Roman and Greek gods who were quick to kill or deceive others into killing. Our brother, Wesley, youngest brother, is like hugely into um, this guy called Diomedes, who is uh, (laughs) Jake's over there like, Please, I don't want to hear his name one more time. <laughs> Seriously, I was visiting for two weeks, Pennsylvania. That's literally all Wesley would talk about. Like, <laughs> I was on a call with them like a couple days ago. Still, still, still even going still. on about Diomedes. And it's because he's a lesser known figure in the story of the Iliad. And the Iliad is chock full of violence, of treason, of treachery, of deals, all spearheaded largely from these gods right who prompted their people to oh man he didn't say i was the most beautiful in the land kill him (laughs) like this happened and diomedes stood out because he didn't do that no he wasn't the brightest guy on the block but he didn't fall for those sorts of tricks he did what was right and that was different that stood out it's like wait what why you know (laughs) so but that's not our god it's strange how all the idolatrous gods start to take on fallen human traits so quickly. How weird. But this is not <laughs> our God. Quote, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103.8. A perfect example of this can be found in the book of Nehemiah. Quote, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return their slavery. 
to return to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. For you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And you gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Nehemiah nine sixteen through 21. We and all our nations deserve eternal punishment for our cosmic treason. Even our righteousness is like disgusting and grimy rags before God. But God still gives us chance after chance after chance to turn. He gives us warnings and disciplines and ample opportunities to turn and repent. Finally, he gave us his only son and made the truth about himself completely plain so that we're, out, we're without excuse. Still, we in our stupidity and foolishness call his warnings unfair and use his blessings as tools for sin. More than that, we killed his son, we killed his prophets, and we say we're better off doing things our way. And so God finally gives us up to do things our way. What God's judgment looks like. There are literally hundreds of passages in scripture describing what God's judgments on a nation look like. And Raymond Simmons concisely broke down Deuteronomy 28 and outlines the numerous issues that a nation judged by God will face. Quote, business failure, verse 16. Few children, poor crops, few animal offspring, verse 18. Difficulty in all tasks, verse 19. National disasters and confusion, verse 20. Pandemics, verse 21. Fevers, burning, scorching winds, war, mildew, verse 22. Drought, verses 23 and 24. Defeat, verse 25. Death, verse 26. Skin diseases, scurvy, verse 27. Insanity, blindness, numbness of heart, verse 28. Lacks of prosperity, oppression and robbery, verse 29. Marital infidelity, verse 30. Loss of resources, verse 31, and more. Raymond, Sim Raymond Simmons, The Confessional County, page 20. Additionally, we will find women in positions of national leadership, Isaiah 3.12, sodomites popping up all over the land, 1 Kings 14.24, 2 Kings 23.7, Romans 1.27, and large amounts of national debt, Ezekiel 14.3. The national debt problem should be particularly painful because it's the inverse of one of God's uniquely stated blessings to a faithful nation. Quote, for the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall tend, or you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Deuteronomy 15.6. The bleak picture this all paints is played out further in the books of Isaiah and Ezekiel. Also, note the utter destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, recorded for us by Josephus as foretold by the book of Revelation. Additionally, follow the paths of the great Roman Empire and the British Empire, both of which were at one time faithful to the Lord, both now utterly destroyed. God takes his covenants and our national actions very seriously. Look around you. America is facing almost all the judgments God promised us, and he promised to bring them on a nation under judgment. We have women, political, uh, women politicians leading us, 
We have sexual perversions in every direction. We have darkened minds and incalculable amounts of debt, horrifying levels of inflation, monetary theft, literal invasions from our borders, and a tyrannical government capable of more evils than we realize. America is being judged, and it's time we wake up and turn to the Lord before we are totally destroyed. The only chance of deliverance. The only hope for our nation is a national confession of Christ's lordship over our nation. We need towns, cities, counties, and states, one by one, to confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then, we need to live like it. (laughs) This isn't done through force or, or coercion. It's done through Christians living faithfully. As goes the church, so goes the culture. We are here because the church let us get here. The pillar and ground of truth gave ground. She spiritualized away the strength of the Bible and removed the teeth from the word. The bride of Christ let the heathen control the inheritance God gave her and convinced her people to become neo-Gnostics. So here we are. Quote, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 I have become, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, Luke twelve twenty eight. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. Thank you all for watching or listening. We appreciate that very much. Please like, share this episode, let your friends know uh, you heard about us. Word of mouth is especially beneficial to a show like this in its infancy, basically. It seems like we've been doing this forever. We're actually very fresh. So <laughs> got a long way to go. Um, thank you for sharing and commenting and liking and all those sorts of things. And um, we appreciate it. Don't forget trdshow.net is our show website. We got all our episodes for free to watch there, censorship free. Um, because YouTube kicked us off. So we had to build our own. Send us emails, trdshow at protonmail.com. We got quite a few of those after our last Monday episode. So I'll be replying to some of you. I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance to yet. I just got too many of them and they're really long. So (laughs) it takes a while for me to work through the list, but um, I do appreciate the uh, citing your sources. So that was very nice of you. We're looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday when we're back to break down the final chapters in Pastor Wilson's book, Mere Christendom. Until then, remember everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.